Ladies and gentlemen, the world's greatest marathon, the London Marathon, is almost here. We hope you're ready. The Australian men's 1,500-meter record has fallen. Ajay Wilson's gold medal chances have dropped. A U.S. national champion distance runner has been popped for drugs yet again. And Joshua, chapter guy's agent, has admitted that yours truly, Rojo, is a genius. So much to talk about that. Welcome back to the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. This is Let's Run.com co-founder Robert Johnson. Welcoming the show. As always, I'm joined by my twin brother and fellow co-founder Weldon Johnson, as well as a staff writer, Jonathan Galt. If you want to reach us, pick up the phone, unlike Facebook, unlike Twitter. You can call us, 844-LET'S-RUN, 844-538-7786, or email the show, pod at letsrun.com. But guys, I... Big story. We've got to go with London. After 217 days of waiting, we will finally have a World Marathon major on Sunday, and it's going to be glorious. For the first time, and I can remember in a long, long time, ever, really, we're going to have a women's elite major in its entirety from start to finish, and then a men's elite major in its entirety from start to finish. We're not going to be going back and forth on the TV commentating, distracting ourselves. We're going to have four and a half hours of distance running heaven. When you put it that way, it sounds great, Robert. Uh, unfortunately, the one drawback for us, based in the United States, is that the women's race starts at 2.15 a.m. Eastern and the men is at 5.15. Do either of you gentlemen plan on... When do you guys plan on getting up for this race to watch? This one's tough, John, because London usually is in the middle of the night and I usually sort of wake up around halfway, but then I don't have another race after that to stay up for. I can at some point catch up on my sleep. i got a four-month-old baby at home. I'm not sure. This is going to be tough. But big picture, guys, for some of our more casual viewers, I mean, this is as good as it gets. First of all, we're actually having a marathon major, as Robert noted. Ella Kipchoge, the world's greatest marathoner, versus Kenesa Bekele, arguably the world's greatest distance runner. Their PBs in the marathon only separated by two seconds, 201.39 versus 201.41. And on the women's side, Bridget Koskai in her, what is it, 214.0... Oh four, personal best taking on Ruth Chepengedich, who's run two seventeen and is the world champion. We're going to discount Vivian Chirat, who is a Olympic champion on the track, five time global medalist on the track, former London Marathon runner as well. These fields are stacked. Can't wait. Which race should we talk about first, Jonathan? You've been in London for us virtually, talking one on one interviews through Microsoft Teams. With Kipchoge, Bekele, etc., you can tell us which race you want to talk about first. Yeah, let's start with the men. And Robert, yeah, we've had these press conferences, but I will admit that Bekele especially seems to sort of be playing things close to his chest. And it's kind of interesting because I think, do we all agree it seems like Kipchoge is going to just be Kipchoge here? Like he's been so consistent through for the last six, seven years. He hasn't lost a marathon since 2013. His last few, in case you forgot, he ran 159.40 at the Ineos 159 Challenge. He ran 202.37 course record in London. And then the race before that was his 201.39 world record in Berlin. So that's basically the the greatest three marathon stretch anyone's ever had. And it sounds like talking to Kipchoge, talking to his agent, his training camp is closed in Kaptegar and he's missed them. But he's still been able to get in a full build-up. It sounds like he's still in Kipchoge shape. 
So I think to me, the big question is Bekele and if he's in, you know, the 201 shape he was in Berlin and opinions seem to kind of be split on that right now. So I guess I'll ask you guys, are either of you concerned about Kipchoge at all? Well, Jonathan, I I didn't want to start off the podcast with having to issue a retraction and apology for the fake news we have up on the homepage, folks. I often complain about the quote-unquote mainstream media and what a terrible job they do in this country of tearing us apart. And yet, we here at Lights One are guilty of journalism malpractice, mainly Jonathan Galt. On the homepage, folks, we have a men's preview. It's over 3,000 words. It's it's an in-depth preview. Jonathan doing a good job. But in it, we have the fact I, – it says, good news, folks. Kenesa Bekele is in about the same shape as last year when he ran 201.41. He did tell you that, Jonathan. You quoted him in the article is that I edit the article. I put it up on the homepage. I'm promoting this. I look for the nuggets of wisdom. I was wondering why you didn't hype it up. And then you, like an hour later or two later, you text me and you say, oh, by the way, I just got a call a, a call or text from a fellow journalist. He said he would bet his life that Bekele drops out. Is this true, John? Robert, you can't even get your correct the facts right when you're trying to correct me. He said he would bet a month's rent that Bekele DNFs. So on the one hand, Bekele tells you, hey, man, I'm in about the same type of shape as, as last year. And on the other hand, a journalist says, I'll bet a month's rent that he drops out. So that, that I, I did, and then I picked up the phone and called you and I said, Jonathan, I know it's hard. To, it is at, the, at these press conferences, folks, when you're there, generally the runners kind of stick to the script and kind of say nice things. They don't really reveal too much. Sometimes if you ask them a very specific question, you can try to get some real insight. So, John, I asked you about this off air yesterday. Explain to the viewers why someone, despite Bikile talking big, had this impression that, Hey, he's not in shape at all, man. Well, he admitted that, you know, he's had a few difficulties in training due to, you know, the pandemic. And he, I I asked him a couple times whether the riots, the political instability in Ethiopia had were an issue for him. And he didn't really touch that topic. Uh, he basically just said, like, early on in the pandemic, he had to stay inside. But here's the thing, Robert, you, you said it. These guys don't show up to a press conference and say, oh, I'm going to run like shit. It just doesn't happen. You know, they might admit, oh, maybe I had like a small injury issue. And whenever someone says they had a small injury in a buildup, usually it turns out to be a pretty big injury or something like that. So that's why, you know, this person was sort of reading Bekele's body language and he wasn't coming out and saying like, oh, yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm ready to go with the world record. I'm excited to do it. That sort of thing. Like, I asked him when we were on one-on-one, how does your shape compare to Berlin last year? Is it about the same? Is it better? Is it worse? And I think about the same is kind of the default answer if you don't want to say anything. So that's what he said. So that's why I think people aren't quite sure. And that's why I didn't hype it up in my article. Maybe if I had better communication with my editor, this maybe this is on me. I should have given more context. But you took it and ran with it because, you know, Rojo likes to, you know, you've been known to sensationalize things every so, on, every so often. All right. A couple things. First of all, if you guys ever mention how many words are in an article anymore, the article should be immediately cast off the website. Man, I've never... Most people, it probably turns off. You think like, oh, well, people are going to read this. They're probably like, oh, shit, this thing's too long. I'm not going to even click. That's a Rojo strategy. I just want it on the record. 
I mean, all these football writers, they said I have a 5,000-word preview on the Browns game. I'd be like, oh, not going to read it. So let's get that out there. Am I worried about Bekele? Yes. He's 38 years old. His marathon history is very inconsistent. So, of course, I'm worried. The question was, are you worried about Kipchoge? Oh. I I think everyone's concerned about Bekele. (laughs) Way less so than Kipchoge, about Kipchoge. I mean, the the general thing applies to both these guys. I mean, John, in this 3,000-word piece that we've, we're discussing, you have an amazing just quote in there. I mean, these guys both competed against each other at the 2003 World's 5,000 meters. It's one of the greatest races of all time with Kipchoge defeating the great Bekele. A lot of people forget that. And they were both, I think, teenagers at the time. And Hickam Rouge got second in that race as well. El Garouche, I mean, just unbelievable. So that was, what, 17 years ago? I guess Bekele was a 21-year-old, so he wasn't a teenager. But these guys have been on the world stage for so long. Bekele won his first World Cross Country title the year before. And you have this line. Since 2003, you say, during that period, the sport of marathoning has progressed remarkably. When Kipchoge and Bekele won their world titles in Paris, the marathon world record stood at 205.38. Since then, 88 men have bettered that time, and the world record has dropped by almost four minutes. I mean, that's crazy. The world record was 205.38 when these guys started going at it. And it shows, one, what happens when these super track stars went to the marathon, but also what the shoe technology's done, and we can talk about that later. But, I mean, the marathon's at another ball game right now. So... Kipchoge, he's run, he's never run a bad marathon ever. So I think, oh, age will catch up to him at some point, but he's officially three years younger than Bikili. So if age is going to strike someone first, it's striking Kenanisa first. So, man, everything stacks up in Eli Kipchoge's favorite, and that's why he's the world's greatest marathoner. Yes, John, I criticize your piece somewhat unjust. I mean, Kipchoge. Let's think about this. Just reiterate what you wrote in this piece. He's never, ever run a bad marathon. He's never had a DNF. Counting the sub two attempts, he's lined up to run a 26.2 mile race 14 times. Every single one of them has been a strong performance. He's won 13 times. The one time he lost, it took a world record to beat him. And that person is now sitting out Wilson Kipsing for uh, violating doping rules. So he's run 205. Zero zero or faster in every single one of those 14 times, except for the debut, which was 205.30, which he did win, and his Olympic gold medal race, which was a 208.44 in hot conditions. So, yeah, if even if his age isn't actually 35, even if he's older than that, I don't know. Eventually, father time has to catch up to him, but there should be zero, almost hardly any reason to doubt him at all. But then you talked about Bakile. He's got an 18% hit rate by your, by your counting in terms of his 11 marathons. He's got four DNFs. Um, you know, you say he's only twice run fast enough to, to beat, uh, uh, even challenge a Kipchoge, a 203.03 and a 201.41. I, I sort of added to that and did point out that he does have a 205.04 Paris win in his debut and then a, 205.57 for second in London, which probably wouldn't be Kipchoge. But yeah, there's, a, I mean, obviously a lot more reasons to, to, to win Bikile. I mean, to doubt Bikile. And the question I have, and this is, I strong, I, I feel strongly about this. 
if Kipchoge does screw up, and eventually he's not going to, at some point in his life, he's going to have a bad marathon. I mean, I, di- I disagree. I don't think that's a given because he might retire before he has a bad marathon. Okay. Well, that's true. But as I, I think I put it on the message board somewhere, when he's 60 years old, you know, he will not be running 201 in the marathon. And as I said, if he is, I want those shoes, man. I mean, if he can do that at 60, I'm only, what, about 10 years older than him? I'll be rocking my sub three at age 70. So, but anyways, at some point you would think, unless retirement, that he's not going to run a good race. If he's off his game, you know, I, I think then somebody has to win. Remember Boston when the weather was terrible? What year was that, John, when Yuki Kawaguchi and Des Linden win? Like, if enough super elites drop out, or run like 240, somebody still wins the race. So Wait, can, can I can I just point of order here? Do you remember the year that Des Linden won the Boston Marathon? Can you tell me what year that was? Probably 20, well, I know it was either 2017 or 2018. I'm going to probably go with 2017. <laughs> oh my God. It was 2018, Robert. Okay. It's two years ago. Who cares? I mean, it's, well, I, I just think like, you know, it's an important fact. It was only two years ago. I feel like... It's kind of hard to forget. Considering I walk around with a computer in my pocket, like I could look it up in one second. But that's the problem with your generation, Robert. They're outsourcing their brains to their smartphones. Yes. So I, I put this on the message board. It may have been for the VIP only subscribers. Each day, the Let's Run Supporters Club members have we've been having a daily London debate discussion amongst the staff, and some of the supporting club members have posted their, their thoughts as well. And, and one of the days is one of the discussions was is Kenobis Akili the second most likely person to win this race? And I strongly believe that he is not the second most likely person to win this race. Because my theory is, I don't think peak anyone beats a peak, peak Kipchoge. So the only way Kipchoge loses is if he's off his game a little bit, or maybe significant. He pull, pulls an injury, pulls a muscle, etc. in his DNF. So if Kipchoge doesn't run well, who's more likely to be running a solid performance? And it's certainly not Bakile. He's, he's, he's about 50% for even finishing. I mean running a decent marathon, not even let alone a good one. And you've got some of these other guys in the field that are, you know, super, super good. Mosinet Garamu, to me, is the most likely man to win this race, not named L.A. Kipchoge. This is a 202.55 PR guy from Ethiopia. He's the fourth fastest man in history. He was second in London last year. He was second at Worlds. He's been extremely consistent over the last couple of years. So if Kipchoge does not win, I think the winner will be Mosinet Garamu. Yeah, I think that's a that's a decent point there, Robert. And yeah, I think you bring up the point about if Kip, if Bekele is at his best, is that even enough to challenge Kipchoge? Because we saw him run that 201-41 in Berlin and then the 203-03 win in Berlin where he almost broke the world record in 2016. Those were his two best marathons. Kipchoge was not in them. So line up Kipchoge on that day. Does that mean, is it good enough to beat Kipchoge? We don't really know. We don't have evidence of that yet. And my, I kind of lean towards no. Um, so when you factor in Garamu's consistency, I think that's a, that's a pretty strong point. And then also, let's look at the betting odds here. We love look, examining the betting odds. You've got Kipchoge at 1-2. to two, He's the favorite. Bekele, 2-1 to one on Bekele. I think those are terrible odds. And then 12-1. to one, This is for the outright win for Garamu. And I think... The smart bet here might be put a hefty amount on Kipchoge. Two to one. I mean, considering he's won 11 of his 12 career marathons, 
I think two to one's decent odds on him. Oh, one to two. Sorry, it's decent odds on him. And then Bekele, I just don't, two to one, that doesn't make any sense to me. But 12 to one, if Kipchoge screws up, 12 to one on Garamu, who I would say is the probably, like you said, the favorite after him. That's not bad. There you go. Electron Visitor emailed us and said to break it down betting-wise. I agree 100% with you. If you can find that one to two odds, though, you need to find that odds. That's an applied win rate of 66.7%. I would say I would feel thinking he probably wins this race 75% of the time, so I think there's a small amount of value there. And that 12 to 1 for Garamu is an applied win percentage of 7.7%. So between the two of them, it's, you know, it's a decent bait, but neither one of these jumps out me as like, oh my God, go get $5,000 and put it down. Yeah, those odds are from oddschecker.com. I think they're at William Hill. So Michele, two to one means he has to win 33% of the time. I think that's too high. I don't think he wins this race one out of three times. Garamu, 12 to one. I think that's the bet to do right there. Um, but what, should we run down some of these other guys and just sort of give a sort of quick shout out to, you know, what these guys have done. Everyone knows the Kipchoge and Big, Big Bekele, but Mosinek Garamu, he's got a 202.55 best last of all time. Um, he was second last year at London, and he hung with Kipchoge in, you know, that was 2019, but he hung with him late till pretty much final mile, mile and a half, I think, somewhere in there. Uh, so that was a very strong run. Second at the World's, He's never won a major marathon. That's the sort of knock. But when you're racing Kipchoge, that's not easy to do. And he, he did win Dubai, which, you know, is as close to a major as you're going to get. Not in Valencia now. Right. So his credentials without a world major are as good as you can get or world championship. Muli Wasahun, also of Ethiopia, 203.16. It's crazy now. You're 203 and you're just kind of like, uh, whatever. Sisei Lima, I'm just going down by times now, 203.36. He was second and to- third in Tokyo this year, third in Berlin. Tamara Tola, Marius Kipsurum, these are 204 guys. Then you get down to Shura Katata. He's the one, two, this is how good London is, three, four, five, six, seven, eighth best guy. And 204.49, you're like, oh, whatever, who cares? He was the Let's Run.com world number two marathoner and. 2018 i believe even though he's never won a major but like he got second in london second in new york he's very consistent but do we really think a 204 guys best gonna beat a bunch of 201 guys i mean the the marathon like the cheat codes have just changed everything how you discuss it It, it's crazy i guess the thing with london is so i'm going down this list you know i get so far down a lot of these races, say sometimes New York, like the year Shailen Flanagan won, if the favorite falters, there's only one or two people who uh, can see what I see winning unless something cr- crazy happens or all the favorites falter. In this race, let's say Kipchoge has a bad day. Let's just take that for granted. I think there's a bunch of guys, if they have a good day, who can then win it, right? Is that how you see not, it? Not really, because I kind of view it as Kipchoge is... The odds that he has a bad day, would you say 20%, under 20%? I mean, I find that pretty unlikely to begin with. And then I think I think the top three guys, I think it's Kipchoge, Bekele, and Garamu. And I think there's a gap. And I think if any one of them sort of brings their A game, that's enough to beat everyone else in the race. I kind of find it, I find it unlikely that all three 
are going to bomb in the same race. Like, I, I don't know. To me, you think if Mule Wasahoon or, like, I guess maybe Katade, if Katade gets back to the 2018 form, he kind of backslid a little bit, was only fourth in London, fifth in New York last year. You know, if, if he recaptures his 2018 form, maybe that's enough to beat Garamu. But I think Garamu is, like, just a, a real stud. And if Kipchoge falters, I think it's either him or Bekele. I, I kind of find it unlikely it would be anyone outside of those top three winning as good as the rest of that field is. I think John's doing a disservice to the field. I mean, there's eight guys under 205, so it wouldn't shock me if any of them won. I mean, it really wouldn't. I mean, yes, I think Garamu was great last year, but Wasahun was only 21 seconds behind him in London. So, you know, that's the thing to remember also is it's not like Kipchoge, these races are over at halfway. There's still people running with him at mile 21, 22, 23, 24 in some of these races. And, he, you know, remember in Berlin when – who, who was the guy that, that came out of nowhere to, to, to push him that one time? Guy Adola, who has since gone back to nowhere after that race. It's, it's going to be really interesting. And then, of course, folks, briefly, who's going to be the top non-African-born runner? We've got Jared Ward of the U.S., 209.25. Cam Levins of Canada, 209.25. Identical PRs. Um, you've got Arne Gabias, but he's 39. Germany, 208.33. And then Sandre Noen of Norway, 205.48. John, this is, this is even World Marathon. What? It's, Mo- it's Moen. I mean, if he's back, I think he was bang- He was injured in 2018, 2019, but you know, he, he looked pretty good in that. I think he ran about 60 flat or a little under 60 flat for that you know, one-hour effort. It's, this is, sorry, obviously it was 60 flat for the one hour, but it was about 60 flat marathon, a little, half marathon, a little bit under that. And he's run 205. You know, if he's healthy, he's going to be the top non-African-born guy. Guys, why are we even wasting our time discussing the citizens race? Can we just discuss the elite race? That's a hat tip to a Let's Run.com supporters club member who said, oh, you know, the Americans and Europeans are in the mass race. And I was like, what? There only is an elite race. But he was joking. Like, London's only elite this year. There's no fans. But you could argue that there's the contenders and then everyone else is sort of there to have a good run with Mo Farah doing the pacing, uh, for that back group who's going off to the Olympic standard folks. And if you want to be a supporter club member, you can sign up now, go to let's run.com slash subscribe. Come on people support independent journalism, only 30 cents a day, big shoe discounts, forum features, bonus content. Uh, and also, Hey, if you don't want to be a member, why don't you buy an Elliot, Excuse me, I shouldn't say LA Kipchoge t-shirt. A 159.40 goat t-shirt. They're now available. We have a let'srun.com slash shop. Go to shop.let'srun.com. Shop.let'srun.com. Yeah, but the final thing, we got to get out of the women's race. Kipchoge, the training camps have been closed in Kenya for COVID since March. So usually he goes to his training camp. It's, I mean, the world's greatest marathoner. He's a millionaire and he's living in like, a probably what like 12 by 12 room or something i don't think it's even 12 feet wide i think it was like eight feet wide maybe eight by 12 with a single bed twin bed sharing a room with another runner so i guess how there could be covid concerns but camps are still closed in kenya i think and fortunately for kenya the immunity is great or something because of other COVID viruses. The disease has been much milder. Don't there. go off on a COVID tangent here, Weldon. I want to stay That's on the That's my race. little thing. And people look into that. It's pretty interesting. I can link to, to an article Please here. Please don't. Scientists are trying to explain why so few Kenyans are dying of COVID. 
And that's pretty much the case in all of Africa. So positivity there. Hopefully the rest of us can learn. But all indications are the training is just going tremendous for him. He's having to train a bit on his own, or I guess live on his own. He's, he's training with some other guys, but every indication is like, expect the great L.A. Kipchoge. Yeah, Sunday. two things about Kipchoge. I had not really thought about until Walden said that. I think COVID-19 makes him more unbeatable than normal. I know he's getting older. So yes, if he was six, you know, if the normal London was four months ago or whatever it would be, maybe he's a little bit younger. But think about it. Like, why is Kipchoge so great? Obviously, he's an extreme talent, but his dedication, he's never letting the fame get into him. He's never gotten fat. He's never done any of this. He loves running. He stays in the process. He's focused all the time. His mind is as good as his body. His dedication is what reaches out. And so other people may use COVID or civil unrest or whatever as an excuse to not do their, to do their daily stuff. You know that Kipchoge has been focused. You know that he's not going to get distracted. This guy is, is just, unreal and on that front and there was i found a cool, a cool quote it's about to be i'm about to put it up as the quote of the day from Halle gabber celesi uh, he was talking to the olympic channel you can actually watch this this him say this on twitter he said ellie kipchoge is my favorite athlete kipchoge is someone very different when i see an athlete in terms of the discipline the character how he trains how he competes his roles he's a really good role model for the next for the rest of the athletes from kenya in ethiopia if I was younger, if God gave me a junior highly, I would want to follow in the steps, footsteps of Kipchoge. Some people say they follow the footsteps of Halle Gebrselesi. I would follow the footsteps of Kipchoge. Well said, Haile G. People loved you for, for the way you carried yourself on and off the track, and people love Kipchoge. All right, guys, before we go to the women's race, one more thing I just want to touch on briefly, and we did this for our subscribers, a quick Let's Run you know, mini podcast a few days ago. We talked about the Americans. There is one American man in the London Elite field, Jared Ward. He was sixth at the Olympics, in case you guys forgot. Uh, didn't make the U.S. Olympic marathon team this year, though. Seems like he's in close to PR shape. His PR is 209.25 from Boston last year. Do you guys think he gets under 209? Do I need to go there already? I thought we were going to save this till later, but like, how good are his shoes? Well, he's wearing the Saucony... Endorphin Pro, like the, it's their their response to the vapor flies. We don't know if they're as good as the vapor flies, but is that what he wore in at the Olympic marathon trials? I believe so, because John, as you also pointed out in the preview of the men's race, you're talking about how the marathon has changed, even just in the last couple of years. You had this quote talking about this year's Tokyo marathon, the last marathon major we had. 15 men from Japan alone ran under 209, which is four more than have done it in the history of the United States. And Robert and I were arguing with you before this podcast started. We're like, that can't be right. John, you're saying 15 men ran, men ran 208 at the Tokyo Marathon this year? And you're like, yes. We're like, no, come on, John. You got the numbers wrong. You were right. 15 Japanese men ran 208. We're debating whether essentially what the number two to five American marathoner can even run a 208. So I I think it comes down to something like technology is fitness holding up. This is a great course. Actually, if he's going to do it, this is his chance, right? Yeah. What's the weather? Oh, God, I hate to go there, too. What's the weather? Uh, it's good. Well, the temperature's good. I think there's supposed to be rain in the forecast, though. That could that could slow things down a little bit. But I, I, I don't want to make this all about shoes. It sounds like Jared's – I think the, the, he's working against him is that his buildup was only about eight weeks. He didn't have, like, 
the big consistent mega miles that you normally want in there. But it's a very fast course. Maybe he's a little fresher. Maybe he's not overcooked. So let me just cut you off. No. You said his buildup was eight weeks. No. That means he got in this race late, got something to work. They want an American. No. He's a name. No. Not going to happen. Prove me wrong, Jared. I'll be really excited. I mean, Jared's a guy who I don't root for. You know, journalists aren't allowed to root for people, but this, I don't think it's going to happen. It's kind of depressing. We're debating whether a guy who was top 10 in the Olympics just four years ago is now as good as the if he'd be in the top 15 and Japan. Well, I guess Jared wasn't top 15 in the U.S., so, oh, my God. Uh, he better run under 209.25 because if he doesn't, he's going to get lapped. And this is the, st- the graphic that I've come up with. It's a, remember, they're going to run 19 laps of this, or I think it's 19. How many laps is it? 1.3-mile loop, and I've done the math. If you're running 209, if the winning time is 203.00 or faster, to not be lapped, you better be on 209.24 shape pace at um, – 24.9 miles. So, yeah, I don't have a good feeling about this either. I'm going to say Jared Ward of America. I have good news, folks. He will be the top American in this race, and I'm confident that he will not DNF. But Jared Ward will be lapped, and he will not PR. I'm calling it. I have faith. You guys doubt You guys doubt Jared Ward. I'm calling a personal best. 208 for Jared on Sunday. Prove me right, baby. But are we wasting our time here? Like, it's 208. Should we just rechange it in her mind it's not a good marathon anymore it's good enough it's pretty good do you not care about american marathoning well then like he is what well, i know he didn't run well at the trials but he's one of top america's top marathons we're just going to ignore him because he's he's a b-teamer now according to you he was sixth at the olympics i know but do we need to like reset the expectations you need to have shoes that can have you run at like 205 like 206 i mean the world record's 201 everyone was so shocked by the 201 39 and this is where it comes back to the shoes and then out of shape, Kenanese Bekele runs 201.41 last year. And I was trying to look like what we thought beforehand, what our preview of the Berlin race said. And the crazy thing is Berlin last year was during the World Track Championships. We had no preview up, and we were just shocked at this 201.41. But this great track runner who hasn't done anything in the marathon a few years drops a 201.41. I mean, he's amazing. He's great. But I think it shows that obviously 201 isn't what it once used to be. So take a couple minutes off. I hope Jared's got the best technology available, but the shoes are back being an well, issue. Well, then, I just wanted to, you brought up the world track last year, and it just reminded me of how insane this time last year was. It's October 1st, which last year, here were the things that were currently going on in the sport on October 1st last year. Bekele had just run 201.41 in Berlin. We were in the middle of the world championships, and oh yeah, Alberto Salazar, had just been banned for the sport. That's from the sport. That's right. Happy anniversary, Alberto. Yesterday, September 30th, one year anniversary, one year down of his suspension from the sport of track and field. Yeah, it was a crazy night, John. I think we we didn't sleep for about three days, I think. I pulled an all-nighter. The Because the, the, that Salazar thing, the news broke. Like Matt Lawton was the first one I saw had it. He tweeted out at like 3 a.m. Doha time just said Salazar's suspension is happening. You know, he's like, he's been banned for four years. I just show it to you. And I'm like, well, guess I'm not sleeping tonight. The whole thing came out. We wrote a bunch of stuff about it. I think I got, finally got some sleep 10 a.m. But I think John did call me up. I was in, I was still in the office or coming home. And John said, guess the big news happened. Guess what happened? And I predicted it. And I was right on the money on that one. 
But let's move to the women's race. Enough men's talk. Enough Salazar talk. We've got number one all-time versus number four all-time. But Bridget Koska, guys, I mean, I guess Paula Radcliffe's record was out there for 215-25 for so long. It was so much faster than any other woman had run. But now we've done that again. I mean, it's 214-04. I know Radcliffe's run 215-25, but that was 17 years ago. The next best time is, is Mary Catania for 217 is 217.01. So Chepin at 217.08 is more than three minutes back. So you see that. Imagine if this was the men's side. Imagine if it was like, you know, people, well, I guess we, you know, we were hyping up some 204 people as, as people that could potentially win the men's race. But three minutes is a lot, John. Is this a runaway for Sky? That's when I talked to you off air, you seem to act like that's the case. For some reason, I do not believe that. I'm going to give my betting advice later. I think Chep and Gettich can do it. I've not been that impressed by by, by Coast Guy. And if I was going to criticize you for your women's for your women's preview, you just sort of discount the fact that Coast Guy, you know, she, she's run one prep, a couple prep races, right, or just one, just one. So she ran the one hour uh, record attempt a few weeks ago. And when she raced Safanasan. But the time in that was not fast. I mean, if you convert it to a half marathon, was it 67 minute pace? It was roughly 67 flat pace for a little, like 11.8 miles or something. That's not very good for people with disability. I mean, 67 minute pace should be Coast Guy's half marathon split. So she's all out for on a track and she can only run 67 minute pace and you seem to discount that john you seem to say oh well she's fine she's in shape you to me that's to a little bit worrisome you seem to think it's the only thing that matters like first of all robert this was a soft record and it didn't seem to like didn't seem like her goal was okay i'm gonna go out there and run as far as i possibly can it seemed like they were just going to try to get the record, and then you know at the end they kind of picked it up a little. Okay, bit. I don't, I don't like the word "seem." That's when a journalist assumes something, Jonathan. You were in the, you had the press conference. You had the ability to ask them questions. I texted you this morning. Did you ask her? Were you going a lot? Why do you assume they weren't going fast? I assume they were tired, and that's why they didn't go fast. So, did you do your job as a journalist this morning? Asking them. Right, why I assume that is because they had pacing ju- lights that they were following setting world record pace. The pacing light was not go out and run 65 flat pace for half marathon. When you have pacing lights, you just follow the pacing light. You don't try to run as fast as possible. Yes or no, did you ask the obvious question at the press conference today? Well, I didn't find it super obvious, but I asked her about that race and she basically, I was like, were you happy with how you ran? Do you think you ran well? And she's like, well, I got disqualified. I'm like, yeah, but you know, before you were disqualified, what did you think? She's like, well, I knew I was disqualified before, so I, I didn't really have it. She like she knew before that race ended, she had stepped on the line. So all she would talk, she wouldn't answer questions about how she felt about the performance. She just said she was disqualified. So, but I, I think you're freaking out here, Robert. Like, look, I looked back at her previous marathons. So okay, before she ran the world record in Chicago last year, she ran really, really good in her tune-up race. She she ran sixty-four twenty-eight at the Great North Run, which is the fastest half marathon ever. But I also looked back at what she did before she won Chicago in 2018. She ran 218.35 in that marathon. Really good performance. She only ran 67.52 in her half marathon. She got beat in that race in her tune-up at the Great North Run. And she still ran a 218 marathon. I just, I'm not going to freak out about that she got out-kicked at the end of this race. Like, if she broke the world record and didn't get out-kicked by Safan Hassan, if she out-kicked Safan Hassan instead... Are you thinking, like, are you worried at all about her? Do you think that's great? 
or what? Well, maybe I'm overreacting a little bit because the more I think about it, Hassan, I, I was impressed by the way how Coast, Coast Guy fought Hassan. Like he came down to the kick in an hour run and Coast Guy tried to give Hassan a, a run for her money. She didn't just wilt and say, oh, this goes to a mile gold medalist. I, I can't stand with her. So she did try to fight her there off there. And, you know, Hassan, while she did drop out of that 5,000 before that race, she's probably got to be at least in the 1430s for 5,000, which is really, you know, good enough for the marathon. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm saying that that, that that Coast Guy, I'm not saying that she can't win. But if you look at the at the, at the implied betting odds here uh, that, from uh, Odds Checker, basically, which, which comes from William Hill, Coast Guy is, I don't have the decimals, but she's implied odds of 57.8%. Um, Chepengedic is 28.6%. And then Vervin Chariot is third, the third seed at, at 16.7%. So... You know, you add those up. I think those are really the only three women that have a chance of winning. It's one hundred and three percent. So I don't see really any any real value there. Um, you know, if I knew the Coast Guy was not yes, John. If I knew that she wasn't going all out in that race, then I would think her odds at fifty seven point eight percent are pretty good. But I also like Chep and Getich. Does she win this race one out of four times? Mm, something like that. I, I think those odds are actually pretty accurate for the three of them. Yeah. If anything, I think. Vivian Chariot might be getting shortchanged a little bit there because, Robert, so I kind of fought you on saying I don't read too much into the tune-up races. But with that said, speaking to them in the press conference this morning, Bridget Cosguy was not exactly coming out. Like, before she won London last year, she came out and was just basically saying she was in... She was very, very confident saying she was in really great shape. This time around, she didn't say that. She was basically like, look, I... She said, she was asked about her fitness level and she said, it's not like in Chicago, but I will try my best. She's been back with her training group, her training partners for two months. Um, but it doesn't sound like she's had, you know, a terrific buildup. She wasn't, you know, sort of re- okay, really pumped about it. that's breaking news. What, what did, what did uh, Chep and Gedich have to say? And Chep and Gedich, I well, I asked her, how does her shape compare to Dubai? And she said the training for London was... She thought, I think she said she thought it was better than Dubai. Her English is not fantastic, so it was a little tough to understand her. But it's she seemed more confident, I think, about her training than Bridget Cosguy did. And, you know, she said, I think she could, you know, maybe they could do 217 or 216, which, you know, to me, I would feel, I felt like Chep and Gedich was the more confident of the two. So there you have it. Wait, you're saying Coast Guy said her training didn't go well, yet you're trying to hype up her race that she did in the half marathon? Like, this seems very obvious to me. If her training didn't go well, wow, that's a huge thing. Because her winning 56%, I thought that was a pretty good bet. But Ruth Chepengedich is a very good marathoner. She's come on very quickly. Let's clarify here. She said it's not like in Chicago. So what? It's she's not 214 shape. I mean... Not going well. I don't think... She, all right, maybe she didn't say it's not going... She said it wasn't ideal, okay? So I think there's, there's a range of possibilities there. But I, I also think, think it's hard, like, when you're, when you're not in your game. I know even if you're a 214, you're not in your game. But it's hard to run 217, like, off your game because it's just... You want to be near your peak fitness. Chep and Gettich, if she's near her peak fitness and seems confident, I'd much rather bet on that. I know she's got three minutes to make up. But I think when you're off your game and you're short and you're, and you're built prep and it and didn't go well, you can really crater at the end of a marathon so the let's run not come betting advice here to take chep and get it's 28.6 percent that's my strongest feeling of the weekend 
Vivian Chariot, though, I think we need to talk about her as well, Robert, because she, I, I, you know, I messaged her coach and her agent, Ricky Sims, and he was like, he told me her training is better than it was before she won London in 2018. He thinks she's ready to PR. Now, her PR is 218.31. She ran 218 in her last marathon in Valencia in December, and that was only good enough for fourth place. Um, but, I mean, she's a massive talent. And she was second behind Cosguy in London last year. Granted, she was almost two minutes behind her, but she ran with her through, you know, that all came in the last like five miles or so. Um, and she's also the last woman to beat Bridget Cosguy in a marathon, which she did in London two years ago. So five to one, I mean, look, I think Chep and Gedich is an absolute stud as well, but Chariot, you know, it wouldn't shock me if she's in the 217 or something. I think 217 could be enough to win it. So. I think those three women, I don't see anyone other than those three women, but I think five to one might be attempting odds for uh, a former, for London champ. Anything else on the women's race here, guys? We should also note there is one notable absence. Digitu Zimmeror, who ran 2.19.25 to win Amsterdam last year in her debut. She actually tested positive for COVID before flying out to London. She was not allowed to board the charter plate and she will not be competing. So the testing is working. London's taking it seriously, but I found that interesting. Yeah, it's good that they're testing. Also shows kind of what I hinted at earlier. There's a lot of healthy people in Africa who have asymptomatic COVID. So one more thing here on Coast Guy. I was trying to figure out how much money she won last year, how much money was at stake. So last year, I mean, she just brought it in. She... $175,000 in official prize money and time bonuses when she broke the world record. She won the World Marathon Major Series, which is $250,000 to the winner. That's $425,000. The official prize money in London was $75,000. I'm not sure about time bonuses. You're now at half a million. She won over $50,000 when she broke the course record at the 50th Peachtree Road Race. So at $550,000 plus shoe bonuses everything i mean she's she didn't bring in a million dollars last year she's probably pretty close i mean what a year and so i was the world marathon majors has this series and this year it's sort of in chaos because all the spring marathons were canceled and the series was supposed to end in chicago this year and now there's like we don't know what we're going to do but if Coast Guy wins this race, this means she'll have won Chicago and London. You can't win more than two races. She'll pretty much lock up another $250,000. So there's a lot at stake here for her besides the win. And the other thing I was looking at, I was like, wait, who who coaches her? I don't even know. And then I looked and I saw her agent, Federica Rosa. And then I was like, oh, wait, who represents Ruth Chepengedich? Oh, Agent Federica Rosa. For those of you guys not familiar, Federica Rosa also represented Jemima Sungong and Rita Jeptu, two world marathon major champions who won, I think they won half a million dollars for their prizes and were both popped for drugs. So I'm not saying anything, but like imagine if, if these guys were coached by someone and they were the, everyone coached by the same person was popped. There'd be so many questions asked. The World Marathon majors would be like, what are you doing, coach, to make sure these people aren't doping? And I think that the question just comes up again. Because, John, you and I went to the training camp in Kenya, 
And we met with Jamon. Uh, I wasn't. Like, I wasn't at Jamgong's camp. I only went to Kip oh, Chogun's right. camp. You got there a day late, and I was like, "What's going on?" You know, you got you've improved a lot as a marathoner. Rita Jeptu was popped, and she assured, assured me she was clean. And obviously, everyone is under suspicion in the sport. And I hate to like, I don't know anything more than anyone else, but it's just to not mention it. I think is sort of doing a disservice, right? I agree. It has to be addressed. And I think the interesting thing is the shoes and the improvements that we've seen around the world because of the shoes have sort of given cover to the fact that these are still breakthrough performances. I mean, Bridget Cosguy, it's not like she she was still wearing Vaporfly. She wasn't wearing the next percent when she ran 218 in Chicago, but she was still wearing fast shoes, I'm pretty sure. She ran 214. She PR'd by over four minutes. Like, that's a massive breakthrough. And Chepengedich, 217. She ran 218 randomly in Istanbul a couple years ago, which was, again, that was a big breakthrough for her. Like, these are really fast times, and it's not fair to just say, oh, that's too fast. You know, you, that, you can't possibly be clean if you're running that fast. But I think when you look at the link with Rosa, and he's represented these women in the past who have been popped, then the best marathoners in the world who've been popped, you have to at least acknowledge that connection is there, you know? But so far, there's no, apart from that connection to Rosa, there's nothing to suggest these women are doping. Yep. And it's also sort of interesting, right? Because I wonder if the World Marathon majors have been limiting some of their exposure to the Rosa athletes, but actually I don't see evidence of that. Japan Gedich, you know, established herself at Istanbul. And then once you're a star, the World Marathon majors, how are they going to really keep you out of the race once you've run a super fast time? Well, no, I kind of was wondering that about Japan Gedich because she ran that in Istanbul in 2018. She ran 218, won by a ton. Her next two marathons were Dubai, not a major, and the World Championships, which you don't, there's no race director there. You just, if your country enters you, you're in. So I was kind of curious why she wasn't running a major. I was wondering if that was the Rosa connection, but now she is in London. So this is her first marathon major. Right. But if you look at Coast Guy, she sort of got established in Chicago in 2017, October. And that's the year Sumgong was busted. Sumgong was busted in April, but maybe Chicago really hadn't figured out the connections there. So I wonder, the races aren't going to, the World Marathon majors, they want the best athletes, and I think they'll always invite them, which they should. But I'm going to just keep questioning the roses. Okay, uh, enough of this, guys. I mean, Walden defends his friend Paula Radcliffe. She ran way faster than everybody else. And, and, oh, what about Galen Rupp? He's tied up. Salazar. Isn't Salazar sitting out of band? I think it's fair to raise it, but we, we've talked enough about this for this week. The, the fact of the matter is if someone's running 14 minutes low for the women in the 5,000, which has been happening for a long time, I'm not surprised that somebody can run 214 in super shoes. So, you know, we, we brought it up, but let's stop, you know, harping on this now the the, the well, well I'll, I'll come back to this a similar topic later when we talk about something else i did briefly want to mention the three american women in the in the field we've got lindsey flanagan the olympian molly seidel um, they both run 227 and 228 in, in, in the marathon and then we've got sarah hall who did not make the olympic team she's got two, two leads the way at the 222 pb they're in this race uh, for the subscribers show, we, we we had a debate who we thought would be the top American, and we're not going to redo that here. But the three of us all agreed that we thought it would be independently amateur, that it would be Sarah Hall. 
Um, her husband and coach Ryan says she's in great shape. She's in PR shape. He sounds very confident that she'll PR. And, um, you know, I think Flanagan might PR. I, I'm not confident in Molly Seidel's buildup at all. So uh, to me, look for Sarah Hall to potentially PR in this race. And if she does, she'll, she'll really vault very high into, in, into the all-time U.S. list. Yeah, I mean, Ryan said he in an ideal world should go out in 70 flat pace and a reminder, the all-time U.S. list, Dina Castor, number one, 219.36. Jordan Assay, number two, 220.57. They're the only two women who've broken 221. So that will be something pretty special. So what do we do? Let's talk about hypotheticals. She goes out in 70 flat and she comes back in 69.30. What if on Monday, Sunday morning at four in the morning, Sarah Hall is the American record holder in the marathon? A woman who's never made the Olympic team, is in her late 30s, has adopted four children from, from Africa. Amazing. It'd be an amazing story, but also, although she claims she's not in these super shoes because she runs for ASICs, right? But she's in a, some sort of new version of the shoes. But it would be just mind-blowing to me. Well, her PR, yeah, but her PR right now is 222. So I'm not going to go really contemplating that situation until it really happens. I mean, I, could it happen? I guess there's a small chance, but like, I don't know. That's like a PR of almost three minutes. I just think that's it's pretty unlikely. Well, I mean, I, I kind of think that's the halls. Like they have a lot of faith and they just go for it. But I mean, she said, John, you said the coach said go out in seventy flat. I mean, that's. I mean, the problem is there may not be a, a pace group at, at that level. Maybe there, she can find some men to run with. My God, I do find uh, that would be a very interesting scenario, though. If Sarah Hall does pop this massive PR and suddenly. You know, she DNF the trial. She's never made an Olympic team at any distance. And to be the American record on the marathon would be quite an interesting situation. But not only she not even made the Olympic team, until this year, she was never really even a, a, a legitimate even Olympic contender in any event. Maybe the steeplechase that one time. But th- then you say, hey, she finally found her event. It's the marathon. And she had a bad day at the trials when she needed to have a good day. Yeah, I think you just pat her on the back and say, well done. You also think about the shoes to some extent. But the sport keeps evolving. These shoes are legal. And I love how Robert always points out she adopted children from Africa. What does that have to do with her running, Robert? (laughs) I can barely take care of one child. I don't know how in the hell you take care of and run 25 miles a week. How in the hell do you take care of four and run over 100 miles a week? I'm trying to praise her for it. I agree. But Robert, now it's very controversial. With the Supreme Court justice who has adopted black children. John, I heard it. Yes, we don't want to go into politics. Oh, can we stay away from the... Ibram Kendi says that's a sign of being a white colonizer. Talk about racist. I think that guy's a racist. I'll just say that right there. Okay. The one one thing I wanted to say, though, we're talking about, like, well, what if Sarah Hall's the American record holder? She's never made an Olympic team. Well, Jordan Assay is number two. She's never made an Olympic team. I mean... I think the same thing kind of she had a bad day at the trials like is it do we view it as that crazy that Jordan Hesse is way ahead of all these other women will there be a demand to redo the Olympic trials considering that the Olympics will be run on a fairly flat course I do think it was stupid to have the trials on a heli course it doesn't make much sense if you're trying to pick the team best suited to do well in the Olympics I mean I kind of feel like running a hot race are we losing you, Robert? Are we losing you? Robert seems like he's dying. Are you okay? Oh my god! 
<laughs> that, that was a fake, right? You, you like fake wretch. That, that was pretty good. You got me. I wasn't faking anything. I was coughing. I, I muted myself so they could see me raging over. But any, any psychologist on the podcast, Robert and I as kids, like we'd walk into the room to play with each other and the other one of us would be laying on the floor playing dead. Can someone analyze that? Please. 844-LET'S-RUN. Robert, what's the text number? On the subscribers-only video show, we give out a text number. I think we should give that out as well. Goes to my Google Voice. I forgot what it is. That next week. All right, guys. That was a ton of London talk. Uh, I had a lot of fun talking about London, but let's move wait, on. Wait, 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 wait. I want to give a shout out. I want to give some love to Lindsay Flanagan. John, yell out her PR if you've got it in front of you. But 228. John says that very rudely. Um, that's why I'm not that excited. Lindsay Flanagan, I mean, I wouldn't talk about her before the Boston Marathon. I don't see why we're talking about her now. In, 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 in London, they have a bubble there for the athletes, and they're doing super strict stuff. We could talk about this. Do we think – I mean, I guess you can't be too cautious about COVID because you don't want it to spread. You don't want to get it. But some of the stuff – they're at a hotel. These runners aren't allowed to put on Strava their runs because they don't want people to know what hotel they're at. Like, I don't really get that. Or they think that the fans are going to rush the hotel and ask Kipchoge for his autograph or something. I mean, just make everybody stay six feet apart. It wouldn't matter how many people were outside the hotel. But anyways, Flanagan said that she admits to being in awe of Kipchoge. She said, I wanted to get my own picture of him, like, you know, from the bushes, but I didn't. So she saw him running around like they have to run around in this one park. I was like, can I just hide and snap a picture? I haven't run into him in the dining hall yet, but it's going to happen eventually. So we hope that Miss Flanagan gets her picture. In per- or I guess she can't get a Close-up picture. She can't be in the picture with him unless she's six feet apart. And they're wearing, like, these things around their neck that, like, notify you if you're within six feet of somebody. And it's kind of fascinating. If somebody gets COVID, they can go back and tell you, like, oh, Robert and John were within six feet of each other last week. You should probably tell Robert that John has. Yeah, I mean, I've seen the London Marathon hyping all this stuff, and I guess I'm – I just read the NFL teams have been doing the same thing for months. So when I read it, I wasn't – I mean, obviously, it's good. It's it's great technology, but I just wasn't as impressed because I'm like, oh well, yeah. I read Peter King had a whole column about the Houston Texans doing the same thing. So, well, that's good, and I hope they got a sponsor. Well, I mean, Abbott's a major doing a lot of COVID testing, so I don't know if Abbott's providing the technology. But I used to wonder like, what the f is Abbott? And now we all know. So, they're a appropriate sponsor, especially this year. I think the company is the Tharsis. It's called the Tharsis Bump. Okay. Anyways, enough London talk. There's a few other things I wanted to talk about from last week. We had the Doha meet. I guess the big news that to me there was two things. One, Stuart McSwain. What a season he's had. Incredible. Seven Follows up that 728 with an Australian record. 330. Just destroyed everybody in this field. Totally amazing. John complains that the rabbiting has to be perfect and blah, 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 blah. This guy won by like 50 meters. I said the rabbiting had to be better. It was, and he broke the record. So I think it proved my point. I said the reason he didn't get the record in Zagreb is because the rabbiting was shitty. He had better rabbiting and he got the record in Doha. QED. What does QED mean, John? Uh, It's a Latin phrase, an abbreviation of the Latin phrase quad erat demonstrandum, literally meaning what was to be shown. So it's basically just saying, you know, thus it's proven or that sort of thing. What's the thing people get in London? I thought it was, you know, when you get knighted, you're like an MBE or something, John. I thought that's what you're referencing. No, there's MBE, CBE, OBE, and then there's knighthood. So there's a whole bunch of different titles. And you're like 
up for knighthood is that kind of where you stand right now <laughs> no i gotta i gotta go through the first three before i get the knighthood i'm still waiting on my mba which hasn't come through yet but let's talk a little bit about mcswain and I've, I've started a thread on the message board about this and I, I asked our australian visitors like if i told you four years ago that Stuart mcswain would have the aussie record at 1500 would you believe me let alone also the 3000 meter record and 10,000 meter record i mean he's got the 1500 and 10,000 at the same time but this guy i mean he was a good junior but it wasn't like his times were like that crazy like, like it's pretty amazing um I mean, he, he actually was like a steeplechaser first. He went to the steeplechase in the world in 2017. He was an 834 steeplechase. Four years ago in 2016, he didn't even have a 1500 or mile PR listed on Tilostopcha. I mean, he was not viewed as a, as a 1500 meter guy, a speed guy. Now he's dropped down in distance and, and run this. I've got the stats. At 18, he ran 833 for 3000. At age 19, he ran 816. And then... 16 months later, he's actually with 21 then, but he goes from 816 to 754 in the span of 16 months, and then from 754 down to 734 in two years, and now he's down to 728. He's picked up the 1500 and run 330. Pretty amazing, I mean, how well he's done. And, you know, it's kind of interesting to debate. Someone says he's from a remote island. Yeah, Robert, he's from King Island. So we all know Tasmania is like this island, you know, off the southern coast of Australia, right? Well, he's on a small island that's off the coast of Tasmania called King Island. And the island's population, according to Wikipedia, as of the 2016 census was 1,585 people. So that's pretty crazy. That's where he grew up in this small island in the the Bass Strait uh, is the body of water it's located in which just proves my point that not all times are the same when i was coaching at, at cornell my, my boss used to tell me he used to say nathan taylor he'd say okay when you see a time from a california high schooler and you're comparing it to like a kid from new hampshire or vermont you want to like add 15 seconds to the california person's time because they have perfect weather they have advanced coaching you know someone from vermont is, is only training a couple months out of the year most likely in high school so it does make a big difference but congrats to stewie he's had an amazing year I, I, athletics illustrated did an interview with him he still wants to the crazy thing is his season's not done this guy wants to break he's hoping to run a find a 5000 where he can break 13 flat and he's definitely he's in the chapter guy world record race for 10000 he wants to lower his 10000 meter race so shoot do we need to preview that chapter guy thing we're not going to have a podcast until after it happens it'll be over by next week this time yeah Thank you, John. I was about to say, I was just now looking at a calendar and Robert wants to talk about this. I'm like, should we just start hyping this? This is a great 14 days of running, or I guess it's maybe 13. London Marathon this Sunday. And then... It's actually 15 days of running, Weldon. I know you, you get mad when we say all the days and the, use the numbers and the stats, but October, the period from October 4th to October 17th... Oh shit, it is 14 days. I sound like a total asshole. I was totally wrong. We'll keep this in the podcast. I'm trying to be too clever. It's 14 days. Thank you. It's a Sunday to a Saturday, so I guess that is 14 days. But next Wednesday, October 7th, is the world 10,000-meter record attempt by Joshua Cheptegei. And we're also talking about maybe a woman's 5,000 record attempt. So that's in Valencia. So I, we might have to do an emergency podcast after... We'll probably do one for subscribers anyway to talk about London. So maybe we'll just preview Valencia and that. So be sure to sign up, let'srun.com slash subscribe. Maybe we should have a watch a live watch party for the 10,000. That might be a good idea. 
I would have done it for London, except it's in 3 a.m. and most of our visitors will be asleep. The problem with the live watch party, though, is like people streaming and TVs are slightly behind. So people like we could be ruining it for them if we're ahead. I guess we'd, be, we'd probably be behind them. Yeah, you'd also have to make sure that we're synced up, which I think could be tough. Like if Let's Run was centrally located or something and we weren't in an age of social distancing, maybe we could make it happen. But Who knows? If Valencia, I don't even know where it's going to be streamed. If it's on like YouTube, we could sync up that way. But if it's on TV, might be a little bit hurt. It's on the NN running team, YouTube. Anyways, I gave my love out to Mr. McSwain. Uh, two other things. Let's talk about 800 in Doha. Faith Kipiegan, amazing world leader win, big negative split. I kind of think the three of us all think she should at least strongly consider doing the 850-100 double next year at the Olympics. So very impressive there. But I have some news to report on that subject, Robert, uh, because I talked to Valentine Trow, who is Kipiegan's agent. He's also Kip Shoge's agent. Uh, and when I was talking about London, I brought up that idea. I said, hey, you know, would she consider doubling at the Olympics? And he said, you know, they haven't talked about it yet. They're not sure. But his guess is probably not because it seems like she's someone who would really want to focus on... She, I think she likes to focus on one event. Uh, and also, I think the other issue is the 800 is before the 1500 in Tokyo and the 800 would be her weaker event. So if the schedule was flipped, there might be a better chance. But as it is, I, I think it's unlikely. World Athletics officials, please read my article, What Doubles Are Doable. These are the types of things you should be changing. There should be no overlap. And think about, like, an 800 runner is not going to move up. to the, well, I guess Bezier could. But most of them aren't going to move up and run the 15. It's going to be normally the other way around. So you should have these things done so that the double is doable and easy. It makes the sport more compelling when the best people are running it. Speaking of 800, is anyone surprised Ajay Wilson is not running races this year? Outdoor races? Like, Nothing. Well, I mean, like Sydney McLaughlin hasn't run any races yeah. this year either. I'm not. I'm not surprised. Ry Benjamin or Ry Benjamin ran. He ran a one or two that Texas meet where they all the Nike athletes ran to keep their contracts. But I'm not shocked by it. Like I, I think you got to th- wonder about this. RJ Wilson, she's an Adidas athlete, right? And Sydney McLaughlin, New Balance. They might not have these strict requirements. Like we saw all these Nike athletes running. But maybe if there's not this thing you have to go and run, you know, 10 times or you have to run eight times, they might have just said, screw it and we'll train and we don't need to worry about racing. After this 10 days of goriness, I'd like you to follow up with Coach Derek Thompson to see what she's been up to. I'm not happy if she's just been screwing around and doing nothing. I think you need to stay focused. That's a good point. I mean, Robert, she's a true professional. I don't think she'd be screwing around, but... The Nike athletes, it's clear from the contracts they have to compete. The other two companies, it's clear they don't. So, Speaking of Adidas athletes, should we be playing taps for Bryce Hopple? He was off his game yet again in Doha. Started off the season with a 143 and just got progressively worse as the season went along. In our recap, John asked, should he have raced more? Like, why? He'd already peaked. Every race he ran was just getting worse and worse, putting himself more and more in the hole. Kind of surprising, actually, to see someone run their very best race at the beginning of the season. I mean, this is absurd. Like, less than two months ago, he comes out, runs 143-23. We're like, this guy can win gold in Tokyo. He's amazing. Bryce Hubble can do anything. Here's a couple bad races. You're just ready to kick into the curb like a piece of garbage. No, I mean, look, it wasn't great. But, yeah, maybe he was built up and he was pe- maybe he just peaked for Monaco. And now he's running, like, five weeks after Monaco and he's not the same level. I mean, I'm just, I'm just glad to see him on a track and I'm not worried about his future at all. Well, I just started thinking about Olympic trials next year and stuff. Please, please, let, let's have them. We're going to have an Olympics. I'm almost I'm very confident in that. 
But do we need to start thinking about like moving the Olympic trials somewhere? Are they going to have to move out of Oregon? Like Oregon's been very strict. Now, obviously, this is a long way out. But if you can't have fans, should we move it to somewhere where they have fans? Because I don't know if you guys saw this. It came out yesterday. I, I was watching playoff baseball. I'm like, why isn't baseball having fans? We're having fans for some football games. And a baseball stadium next door is not having fans. And there's no interaction between fans and players. And then it came out. Globe Life Park. Texas Rangers are hosting the World Series this year. There will be fans at that World Series and the National League Championship Series, which will also be in Arlington, Texas, right where Robert and I used to spend many a days of summer. But the American League Championship Series is in California. There will be no fans because it's not allowed by the state. Well, we need to have fans because it's going to be des- it's going to devastate the um, finances of it all. Yeah, you need fans. I'm wondering, like, would could Drake be a backup? Iowa seems a little less stringent, but the contenders generally are California or Oregon because of the weather. It's better in the summer. Oh, I was going to say Mount Sac because they had the trials. They had this beautiful new stadium for it. It got yanked away, but that's in California. No, I think it's clear what needs to happen here, guys. You're from a you know relatively well-to-do. Dallas area family. I'm sure you guys have a mutual friend who might be connected to Jerry Jones in some way. He has a big facility out there in Arlington. You need him to build a track at Jerry World and we'll have the trials there. That is how this thing gets done and we'll have fans and it'll be glorious. True true story here. Another Dallas rich billionaire who owns a sports team, but not Jerry Jones. Mark Cuban did look into the economics of putting on a one-day World Championship track and field meet in a football stadium. He was going to build out a track. He had this idea a couple of years ago that I've heard from a buddy. Anyways, we talked about the 100 real quick. I want to mention one other Wow, you're just ignoring my idea. This couldn't happen? You guys can't reach out to Jerry? Go through the back channels? I, I need to make myself look good, so I need to feel... I've got some research here. Um... We have the the. You're not looking good by talking about this like ten day old meat, Robert. That people. I'm not talking about ten day old meat. I'm talking now about Daniel Roden. This is the 800 guy that Jonathan loves. He had a fascinating quote. I have not been writing the week that was this summer because there wasn't a lot of track. Maybe I should. This is the type of thing that would be the the quote of the day. That was not quote of the week. Here's what you know. Roden's run what 144 this year. But he's not happy, or he's not really that proud of himself. Most of my athletic performance is down to my genetics, which I have no control over. Then there are opportunities that I was given as a kid to have a running club down the road and good coaches and training partners. None of that also is under my control. If other people have the same skills and opportunities, they may have even run better than I do. I can pat myself on the back, I guess, and if I train hard or run well, but a lot of the time, it's not down to me. So there you are, folks. Do not enjoy your success. It's all either unfairly given to you by your parents or some sort of privilege that you have in your upbringing. Robert, it's interesting you bring this up because I was thinking on my run last night, I was listening to a podcast about how, you know, it was a basketball podcast, and sometimes, like, if a player doesn't show up in a basketball playoff series, they'll just rip them. Like, oh, that guy, he ran badly, he had a bad day. When runners run badly, it's all, there's almost always an injury excuse. They're like, oh, I had something wrong with my buildup. I wasn't 100% healthy. Like, basically, like, the expectation is everyone is supposed to run well unless they've been hurt. And, you know, if, if I, like, I would say of the trap meets I've gone to, when people run badly, very poorly do they say, oh, I just ran like shit. It was an off day. It was basically like, you know, I had some injuries or I had a cramp or something like that. 
I think the expectation in our sport is just like if you're fit and healthy, you're probably going to run well. There's not as it seems like there's less choking. It's just more about what your body is capable of doing. Well, the human body is amazing. I mean, that's more one thing I really realize following the top end of the sport. And also, John, maybe it's we interact with the best athletes in the world, but they show time in, time out, they get the most out of their bodies. Because if you're off 1%, you get creamed at that level. And one of the problems with track and field is that the favorites win so much of the time. But that just shows, like, Kipchoge's ceiling is, you know, whatever, 0.5, 1%. I don't know what the number is better than somebody else. And he gets there every single time almost. It's crazy, even in the marathon now. And I think probably, like, the young high school athlete, the young up-and-coming athlete, nerves maybe get to them. Or they're not – maybe they just don't have the physical experience of maximizing their body – but once I personally got better at running, I felt like I rarely had a bad race. I just kind of got the most I could do that day. I, well, I always had bad marathons, so let's not discuss that. But I think if I had these shoes these days, you know, holy shit, John. 208, man. 208. But but I think the interesting thing is, like, you look at some people, some guys from the 90s, like Paul Targot. You don't go up. People don't. His legacy, and no, I know he won a bunch of world cross titles. He had the world record in the marathon, so obviously he did win a bunch of things. But he's famous for consistently getting beaten by Haile Gebrselassie in those ten thousand Olympic finals and the world championship finals. People don't view him as a choker. They just view him as he came up against one of the best runners ever, and he got a ton out of his body. He ran really well and lost. And I think if you look in other sports, someone like Charles Barkley or Karl Malone. They're not say, their legacy is not they got the most out of their body and I guess maybe you could argue Barkley you know, needed to be in better shape or something but Carl Malone, he was an Adonis their legacy is, oh, they lost to Michael Jordan they lost in the 90s and they, they, it's not about they're, they're kind of viewed as chokers in the playoffs when really they just ran up against this god and that's kind of how we view Turgot I don't know, it's interesting I don't think they're viewed as chokers I think they're viewed as they didn't win the big one neither did Turgot I think they're viewed similarly I, I, I think you're on a little bit something, though, that we give. But I, I've always thought fans and pundits give, they act like there's a big mental game going on or the pressure got to them or this or that. They may have just run poorly or been overmatched. You know, it's not always this mental thing. I mean, I think people do choke, but it's probably at the top level, it's not as often as at lower levels. But And each sport is different, right? We probably need to get somebody like Malcolm Gladwell or David Epstein on here. All right, guys, time to move on. I'm shocked. We've gone this far in the podcast and Robert has not given himself the victory lap that he promised at the beginning. Robert, please tell us, Addy Reuter, who is Joshua Cheptegei's coach, not his agent, as you said in the intro, his coach, he has validated your wisdom. Can you tell us how? Well, yes. A few weeks ago when Cheptegei broke the 5,000 meter world record within minutes of him crossing the finish line he was his agent was texting Jonathan Galt to say Rojo was wrong because I said it was going to be too hot and that there would be no world record but my theory that the heat plays a big role in the 5,000 has been validated by no one under by no one other than Mr. Cheptegei's coach Mr. Andy Ruter he has Addy not Andy World Athletics has published an article on him saying talks about a workout before this world record, and he says, that day Joshua showed me he was in 1230 shape and a much higher level than Bikile's 1237. Knowing he was that much further ahead of the world record was important because we knew that the likely hot conditions he would face in Monaco 
would slow him down a little. So we know the agent's listening to me. Maybe the coach as well realized, hey, you know, I don't want to get him in 1235 shape. I better get him in like 1229, 1230 shape, just so that when the Rojo weather effect impacts the race, he'll be ready to get the world record. Congratulations, Robert. I continue to be in awe of your greatness. I'm sure everyone is looking for the official weather update for London. I've looked it up. We're talking low 50s here for the men's race, probably maybe high 40s for the ladies' race. Really good dew point in the mid-40s. Great day for running. Might be a little windy, like 8, 9 9 per hour winds, but certainly a day that looks like it would be a good one to run fast. Okay, Robert, we need to institute – I'm just instituting a new policy here. If the weather is good, we're going to call it Rojo Certified. There was RUP Certified cross-country courses. We've now got Rojo Certified weather. London – there's rain, though. Is this what Rojo certified weather or not? I didn't see Dark Sky, which is my go-to app. I didn't see anything about the rain. I didn't look up the rain percentage. Sunday, precipitation perchance. Uh, I'm seeing zero, so uh, I'm not worried about the rain, which is good. And speaking of being validated, guys, last week I was validated on my thinking from earlier in the year as well. Remember right after the Olympic marathon trials, we had the U.S. 15K championships on the road? Some of you may not remember that. But anyways, a guy by the name of Riyadun Harafi won the U.S. title. And it really pissed me off because this guy was a drug cheat from Morocco. And then somehow he became a U.S. citizen. And we've got millions of people living in this country illegally that would die to have legal citizenship. There's millions of people all over the world that would love to come to America and be citizens. And part of that is you're supposed to show good moral character. I don't know how being a doping chief cheat it shows good moral character. I would have never given this guy citizenship. It's great that he loves America. It's great that he wants his kids to be raised here. But I'm sorry. To me, that's a disqualifier when we've got so many other people that want to be here. And what has he done? He's gone out and rewarded. You've got people like Edward Cheswick that have been here for a long time. You've got heroes like Vitaly and Yulia Stepanov, who we had on the podcast a few weeks ago. They want to be citizens. These are people that, that help take down the, the biggest drug cheats in the world. They can't get citizenship, yet we give it to we, we give it to this guy. He's gone out and rewarded everybody by getting popped for drugs two more times. Now he's banned from the sport for eight years. I don't know if it's possible to strip citizenship, but but I would like to see that. Speaking of the Stepanovs, there was another story last week that bothered me as well. Allison Felix has been named one of Time Magazine's most 100 influential people of the world last year. Like, I think it's great that she got Nike to start paying maternity for, for, for women, but I didn't understand how she got... Nowadays, you, you become influential by already being famous. Like, it bothers me about the modern world. Like, Alicia Montano and Kara Goucher started this movement. Allison Felix just jumped on it, and now she's getting the publicity. Why weren't the Stepanovs one of the 100 most famous people in the world when they helped bring down, they risked their lives to bring down the Russian doping? So Time Magazine, don't get me started. Allison, I'm glad what you're doing, but Alicia Montano and Kara Goucher, if anyone deserved that award. I mean, the Time mag- time thing, part that's a popularity contest, though. I mean, it's not as egregious as last year. Wasn't Allison Felix nominated for Laureus World Sportsman of the Year either last year or I think it was 2017. I know she was nominated. She didn't even win the world title, and yet she was one of the, like, the five finalists in the women. Like, she's very popular. People like to honor her, and she's done a lot of great things in her career, but I agree. She she didn't start that movement. It was Montano and Goucher and you know the New York Times who really got that going. But to me, it's almost condescending to women because people don't really follow women's sports that closely. So they just they look for like a famous like female. And particularly if they're a minority, it's an added bonus. And like, oh, we'll pump them up so we can be woke. Like, don't pump her up. Pump, pump, pump Alicia Montano up. 
Yeah, I think it's an insult to the sport of track and field, right? Because Allison didn't start this movement. Her case was actually more complicated, right? She got pregnant when her contract wasn't up, wasn't valid with Nike. So it's a much different situation than the Montano situation. So I just thought it was very different factually than these other situations. But she's very famous. And she came to the New York Times, I guess, later and everybody glopped on. And but she didn't start the movement, but she brought attention to it. So and she's a more prominent person. So life isn't fair. Like she gets she gets attention. She's a very prominent athlete and she attached herself to an important cause. So I don't think we need to get all worked up about this. Yeah, sorry, I did just go up and look it up again because I it was it's so ridiculous that I couldn't even believe it. But yes, last year, in a year in which Alison Felix finished sixth at the United States Championships in the four hundred meters. She was nominated by Laureus as Laureus World Sportsman of the Year, so a World Sportswoman of the Year, uh, which is just absurd. Well, and you raise a good point. I mean, I, I, there was a thread on this, and someone pointed out, like, look, being famous is part of the fact of being, you know, influential. All right, we have anything else to say? Get ready for London. Should be a great one. We probably will have another podcast before our new our weekly podcast, maybe for just for subscribers, something to get people ready for the 10,000-meter world record attempt. Who knows? We've got so much excitement to be looking out forward to. I do want to give one shout-out, though, before I say my last words, to Kosuke Ishida of Japan. The 18-year-old has lowered his Japanese national high school record to 1334. Also, any high school coaches out there, become a Let's Run.com subscriber, and your full team will get free subscriptions. Email us at email me actually wejo at letron.com wejo at letron.com if you want to do that. And one more thing before we go, we didn't get into this. We don't need to get into it in detail, but the Valencia Marathon and Half Marathon fields came out this week, guys. We have another major running event on the calendar in 2020, December 6th. The fields are absolutely ridiculous. Like got Bohanu Legese, two or two guy, Lawrence Toronto, Boston Chicago champ, Lisa DeCisa, the world champ. Jamal Yimmer making his debut. He's a 58-33 guy. Half marathons. We've got Latissenbeck Gide making her half marathon debut. You've got Ronex Kibrudo, Jacob Kipolimo, Kibawa Candy. I mean, this event's going to be fantastic. Jordan Assay is running the marathon. This is in December. We don't need to do a full preview now, but I'm already excited for this. Emily Sisson's in the half. It's, it's going to be a tremendous event. So I don't know what we're going to fill the calendar with in November, but... October is going to be a great running month and December we've got Valencia now. That's going to be a lot of fun as well. Until next week, guys.